Now, when that beat drops in the introduction, I can't help but imagine myself as this really cool, edgy hip-hop DJ in like a really popular nightclub. And I can almost see myself looking over the decks, looking into the crowd, and seeing an expression on the people's faces that they are ready for an absolute banger to drop. But I need to put those ambitions on hold, and I just need to accept that I'm just recording an introduction to a podcast. So with that in mind, I'm going to do my job here, and I'm going to say the following. What's up, guys? Welcome to episode number two of my podcast, In Hot Waterfall. And in today's episode, I am joined by the lovely Tomasz Haugas, and we'll be discussing whether or not tech companies are killing their own consumers. In reference to a popular Netflix documentary called The Social Dilemma. If you haven't seen it, I'd recommend watching it. But if you haven't, no problem. We'll cover all of the uh, the important stuff for you, so that way you don't feel clueless. But anyway, enough of me waffling. Welcome to episode number two. Kick back, relax, and enjoy. Today we're joined by Thomas Haugas, whose background is enough to make anyone feel like they failed in life. Originally from Slovakia, Tom made the move to the UK in 2011 to complete his Master of Mathematics and Comp Sci degree. However, unlike most people who'd just be happy to attend Oxford, he also found time to get involved in 14 extracurricular activities, including an absolute gem, uh, and I've got to talk about this later on, man, is uh, the Oxford Blind Tasting Society. I just got uh, imagining you with just a spoon in your mouth with a blindfold on. It's it's a weird image. Uh, anyway, I'll carry on. Uh, after discovering that the uh, discovering that these extracurricular activities left him with too much free time for his own liking, Tom decided to found OxHack, which brought two hundred of the very brightest in the community together, while simultaneously being recruited by a small business by the name of Facebook. After spending just under eighteen months with this random company. Tom decided to make his life even harder by becoming a founder of his own stealth mode startup, which has done pretty well for itself, but we'll get onto that later. All jokes aside, Tom is someone that I've known for almost four years, and I've seen him grow a business from just an idea he told me about at a conference, to a business with some of the best people that Europe has to offer, and a product that has the potential to genuinely explode. And after that incredibly long introduction, um, I'm going to ask what I always ask is, do I need to fire my research team? Which, just so you know, it's, it's me. Because I want to know how accurate everything I just said was. Reasonably accurate. I actually quit Facebook after just some three months of being full time. So even shorter. I thought you did like a, you an internship or like your, your residency there whilst you were still at Oxford. Yes, correct. So I did like a three month internship and then I did three months full time. Oh, right. Okay. Right. I'm, I'm going to fire myself. But the rest of it, the rest of it was on point, including that you were part of the Oxford Blind Tasting Society. The Blind Tasting Society is actually wine blind oh, tasting. Of so it's not it like is. I'm blinded and I'm getting spoon fed. No, 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 no. Of course it is. You bougie, bougie man. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm not sure if you've ever seen Hell's Kitchen, but they have like blind tasting where they'll put like um, like carrot or parsley or like random herbs on a spoon. And then feed it to people whilst they're blindfolded. And if they get it wrong, then they have a punishment where like you get like ice cream poured over your head. So I was hoping it was like a reconstruction of that, but actually it's just wine tasting. I should have no, known. I'm that. not that one. Fair enough, fair enough. Well, as as everyone should know by now, I mean this is only episode two, so so probably not. Um, but the first section um, is all about getting to know you 
rapidly because I think a lot of podcasts like to talk about people for, for a long time, which is cool, but I just like to get things done faster so we can discuss interesting topics. So I'm going to power through some quick fire and yeah, just answer them in whatever way you feel best. So first Mm -hmm. and foremost, you are now a founder of your own company. The name of the business is Sphere. And what problem are you guys trying to solve? We find that a lot of groups of people are not quite as close and bonded as they would like to be. And the current tools out there really aren't helping. I'm sure you're in plenty of groups online. On WhatsApp, multiple threads get interleaved. It's impossible to find things and follow conversations. Often you don't feel like you're in the core of the group and decide not to even participate. On Facebook, everything gets lost in the feed and you wish you weren't on Facebook (laughs) most of the time. Um, On Slack, you feel like it's an overkill and a bit dry and boring. So... Basically, the tools out there don't really enable the feeling of togetherness, the community feeling. And that's what we are fixing. A communication tool to keep your community together that brings out the vibrancy, the closeness, the productivity, the purposefulness. And so the, the cheesy line that we use is we transform groups into vibrant communities. I love that, man. But how long did that think you, uh, take you to think about that, that slogan at the end? I could imagine that on like a box of cereal. <laughs> we did spend a couple of brainstorming <laughs> sessions to find the, the nicest, most, you know, like visceral yeah. way of saying. Yeah. Cool, man. Sounds good. And what have you done so far? We have built an early beta version of the platform and we are slowly opening it to users. Um, we already host a couple of very happy communities um, and we are starting to look for more. Yeah. Cool. Fair enough. And first question I've got, which which isn't sphere related, but startups or corporates? Startups. Why? You get much more freedom to do things properly. You don't have the side wheels on a bike, Mm -hmm. so it's a little bit more dangerous. There is more space for mistakes, but I guess I like to live dangerously. I can imagine you in featuring in a James Bond film right now. (laughs) martini in hand obviously tasting it blind um fair enough man and i'm actually really looking forward to asking you this one but if you could use one programming language for the rest of your life what would it be (laughs) do you want the sensible answer or the nerdy answer Uh, we'll go for both mate we've got time okay the sensible answer is javascript Uh it's very universal and i'm most at home with javascript the nerdy answer is haskell I wish I could just do functional programming all day. Dude, I thought you were going to say Ruby because we had a conversation a few years ago because um, I think I sent you like a Ruby engineer, even though you've never used Ruby as a business. And you were like, oh my God, I love Ruby. I used to use it back in university or something like that. So I thought you were going to say Ruby. I do love Ruby. It's very close to how I think. It has lots of very nice shorthand forms of of writing code. But... I think I became more at home with JavaScript, even though I have to admit it's not as pretty. Cool, man. Fair enough. And what would you say is the app you spend the most time on? Sadly, Zoom. (laughs) 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 On On the phone, it's probably Kindle. Kindle. Cool. Fair enough. Why do you spend so much time on Zoom? I'm guessing because you're a workaholic and people always want to call you. I thought I thought I'll have a lot of time to think and do things and think through system architecture and so on, but actually running a company means lots of talking, yeah. and so Zoom cool. it is. And I need to be brutally honest with this answer. Do you think technology will kill the need for recruiters? 
not Yuri's. Yuri replaced the ball. Get in there. Get in there. Love it. <laughs> you can't see my face right now because it's recording in the overlay, but I've been fist pumped like the biggest I've ever done in my life. And I probably look like a cringy bastard, but thank you very much. But what do you think about the recruitment industry generally? Yeah, I think there's this blind faith that AI can solve all of our problems. Um, I am not in that yeah. camp. I believe the humanness element and the human intuition and consciousness yeah are very important and are unlikely to be replaced, maybe yeah. ever. So, and recruiting is very, it's a very human thing. It can be boosted by technology, but you can't take the humanness out of recruiting. Yeah. Cool. And finally, one interesting fact about you that you would never put on your CV. Hmm. I collect licenses and certificates and never really use them. So I have... I have like so many random qualifications and licenses. <laughs> I have a, oh, are I, they I have a license to sell boats, use shotguns, fly planes. Oh, okay. I have a gold green card. I have some random ballroom dancing certificates, but I barely do any of this. I things. thought you were gonna. I thought it's you just, you you stole people's like driving license and like and like no, them, no, no, and no, I just stored them all. I was like, that's that's fucking creepy, man. I just really enjoy the thrill of learning new yeah. things and having the freedom of doing those things if I really yeah. wanted to. Cool, man. Sounds good. Well, that was all about getting to know Thomas Halgas. So the, the title of, of this podcast today is whether or not tech companies are killing their own consumers. Um, and this is all about exploring the Netflix documentary, The Social Dilemma. So what I'd like to do now, um, well, I say I, I mean you, Tom, is it'd be great if you could give some background as to what The Social Dilemma is, and a rough finding of, of its conclusions. The Social Dilemma is a documentary about modern social media, especially Facebook. Facebook wants to make money for shareholders, as most companies do. The way they do it is via ads, which they scatter into our Facebook feeds and in other places around the app. And to do that, they need our attention. A lot of it. And so... Everything about Facebook is optimized to suck us in and turn us into a newsfeed zombie, just sucking more and more of our time and serving us more and more ads. Unfortunately, they do it by replacing our true meaningful social interactions. And then they make us feel empty, socially anxious, alone, and in some cases, even suicidal. Another side effect is that when you remove this humanness, you remove empathy and that is what polarizes society. So the social dilemma for the social media companies is the following. Should we pursue economic success and on the side cause all these horrible side effects? Or should we be nice, do genuinely good things, but not be economically successful? I think it's a very good summary, mate. You've done your research. Because mate, I have no <laughs> idea how, how I would personally answer that. Because I was going to be like, well, basically it's Netflix criticizing Facebook for killing people. Um, but I think you put it in a, in a much more thoughtful <laughs> way. So, so thank you for that. I guess the, the points we want to discuss today are all about how accurate the, the premises are that this documentary operates from. And also about how startups can avoid falling into to those same potential problems. Because I think they're... There are some inaccuracies in the documentary from at least my perspective, even though I'm not as qualified as, as most people to say. But today is all about discussing and exploring whether or not businesses are, are killing their own consumers and, and if that can be avoided. So I want to start off by, by talking a, a little bit about 
sociological terms. So my background is I studied sociology for, for a few years um, in my younger days. And I was always really fascinated by how people learn and the learning process. And ultimately, it comes down to, to two forms of socialization. So you have primary socialization, which is um, like your morals and ethics that you typically pick up from your family and your close community. And you have secondary socialization, which is what you learn from the wider community, from friends, from school, etc., which is more about behaviors and how to act in you know, group environments. I guess the, the question I want to start with is, do you think that social media platforms like Facebook have replaced and overridden both forms of socialization to become like this overarching beast that is now the primary center of knowledge and learning? I'm not sure if I worded that correctly, but you get what I mean. Yeah, I get what you mean. It's really interesting. I think social media was supposed to enhance our socialization with both our families and our friends and the broader community. It hasn't replaced this kind of socialization. I think it has skewed it. Social media amplified posts that grab our attention, things which shock us or intrigue us, basically things which make us feel empty lonely and longing for more social media that that because that's what gets us more ads and that means that something needed to be squeezed out and what was squeezed out is the mundane beautiful moments of connection the moments of validation and praise the moments of participation in a community things which satisfy us and make us feel connected and happy but it's much easier to manipulate the behavior of people who are lonely and feel sad and yeah. empty. So no, I don't think social media replaced our socialization. It skewed yeah. it. What, what I would argue, and, and I've thought about counter arguments from, from both standpoints because I had no idea what you were going to say, is um, when it comes to socialization, <clears throat> obviously when you have the two forms of, of essentially like family versus friends and outside influences, I would argue that both of these groups are heavily influenced by social media to the point where family's idea of ethics and morality is now dependent on the ads and the videos and the algorithm which they're susceptible to from Facebook. Because I'm not sure about your parents, but my parents are absolutely addicted, like addicted to to Facebook and they will comment on everything. Even my nan now absolutely loves it. (laughs) So you have that aspect where if the family's addicted to it and their own morality is being skewed, then how much of that is being put on to the child in the early forming years of of learning? And additionally, when it comes to to secondary socialization, the the key form of secondary, most uh, sociologists argue, is teachers. Because obviously teachers are running classrooms and they're saying, look, this is how you need to behave with one another. They're setting the rules. If you don't behave, you'll be sent out, etc., but after I left school, I also connected with, um, with a lot of my teachers just to stay in contact and so they could see me achieve my dream of being a recruiter, um, which I always knew I would be since I was <laughs> a little boy. Anyway, I, I don't want to cry on camera. So and looking through my, my feed last night when I was doing more research is every single one of them that I'm friends with is posting on almost a daily basis on Facebook. So then that gets me thinking, okay, so how susceptible are they to the algorithms and the advertisements, etc.? And that's where I'm going with this question of whether or not the, this susceptibility has like polluted 
generations passing down, like ethics, for example, has now been replaced by Facebook. But do you think that makes much of a difference or do you think it's only enough to skew these forms of socialization or is it a little bit more powerful? I think we are indeed quite manipulated in many different ways. There are whole books and lecture courses that teach us how to create addictive products and manipulate human really? behaviors and beliefs. There are courses? Um, there are. There are. Are. are we talking like modules or are we talking like full-blown like qualifications on how to do this stuff? Modules. Modules. I think there's a famous Stanford yeah. one. The human mind has many quirks and... Similarly, as one can manipulate our perceptions to show us impressive magical yeah. tricks, one can manipulate our perceptions to get us addicted to, fa- to the Facebook yeah. feed. Um, so, to, to, is, yeah, is this, so I guess the next question is, do you think this is how like, big businesses like Facebook have been able to manipulate people is purely from, from using these techniques and making us... Because I, I thought before coming into this that the way that we were manipulated is to because I, I believe so so my background is is in philosophy as well and there's a lot about human beings if you were to remove all governance it's called the state of nature and it talks about whether or not people would fall into to one of three categories it's whether or not they turn into to brutes so whether it's just violence on violence and the strongest wins um, another person says um, everyone's lovely and that we get along really well and form communities and give each other milk and sugar or whatever else, like the good neighbor theory. Um, and finally, uh, there's a, a noble savage concept, which is uh, a blend between the two. So I guess the, the point I'm going with is I personally believe we're probably a mixture of the two. And the noble part in us is the one that's always seeking to better ourselves, always seeking more knowledge, which I think you're a prime example of where because that knowledge is being so desperately seeked, we're becoming so reliant on Facebook that that's leading to our manipulation. But would you agree with that? Or would you say it's more about basic manipulation tactics rather than people seeking and being dependent on knowledge from Facebook? I think there's something maybe even deeper happening here. Um, Humans have evolved a lot of intuitions and a lot of quirks which help us become communities rather than individuals scattered around the globe and these close communities is what allowed us to persevere over difficult times over the ice age and to get us all the way here and develop society and so in the same way as we can use a lot of our, our developed food intuitions um, that we should follow, we should have a certain amount of starch, sugar makes us feel great and so on. You can really abuse those things to get people addicted to various things. And so the same way, if you keep feeding people things which trigger some of these nice feelings or the other way around, trigger certain fears or anxieties, you can get people into very interesting behavioral loops. And I think some of the things which we can see in social media, especially Facebook, is that by taking away from us this social validation, for example, when you send a post, um, in the real world, if you say something out loud, you start seeing people smiling, nodding, or... Um, like rejecting, you see it in their faces. But 
on Facebook, they take that away from you. And so you're really left with this social anxiety. You're really left with, ooh, will I get my like? Will I not get my like? Maybe I should post more. Um, and, and it develops in you this, this slight anxiety, questioning yourself. It develops in you this desire to seek more interaction. But the more empty interaction you get, the more you want yeah. of it. I don't know whether I'm answering the question properly, but that's kind of how I would explain how these yeah. things happen. No, I think that makes perfect sense. And I think that the, the point you've just made logically follows um, onto the conclusions that, that they made, which is ultimately that businesses are, are killing their own consumers because of that validation factor of, okay, if I don't get this mm -hmm. like, what happens next? Like, uh, do people not like me anymore? Like, am I not attractive enough? Am I not smart enough, witty enough? And that self-doubt can then essentially spiral off. But we'll cover that in a second. I guess it leads nicely on, on to the next point because I think the, the fundamental premise which this documentary operated on, and I find it ironic that Netflix published it because they're fighting for the same thing, is, the, is this <laughs> formula of time spent on an app equates to success. So every business, their primary metric they're looking for is time spent on app. How much do you agree with that in terms of, of whether or not all tech businesses feel the same? Because the, the thing I've been thinking about the most is there are always obviously a few metrics which businesses always want to hit in order to exit or whatever else. But I think the goal which I always thought people or businesses were aiming for were to have paying customers. So how much money they can make because that's how you pay people salaries and you know make fortunes but then i guess time spent will equal money made in the case of facebook because the longer you're on the platform the more susceptible you are to to looking at ads so i guess they're they're mutually exclusive um but yeah how, how much would you say especially from like a founder's perspective an early stage startup that time spent equates to success for businesses it is very difficult to compare across vastly different technology companies how well they are doing um, or how much value to users the companies are providing. In, in the nice cases, you can try to compare how much money they are willing to give you. Um, but especially in modern consumer tech, it's often the case that you first need to develop your the product and then start monetizing much later. So in the meantime, the industry figured out a couple proxy metrics that are supposed to give an idea of how well the companies are doing. The original premise was that the time people spent on a platform must surely mean that this is how much value the users are getting from the platform. And this measure did indeed catch on. I would expect all technology companies to track how much time is spent on their platforms in one way or another. That was true until the quality time spent was diluted with the zombie time spent. That's really interesting. So I guess the, the zombie time spent would be the time, what, browsing through ads or just scrolling for the sake of scrolling, right? Correct. When you're in this, when you're in this loop of just like continuing scrolling and when you take a step back, you're like, why am I yeah. even doing this? Interesting. And I think this this premise ultimately led um, one of the key conclusions to to the documentary, which which we touched on a second ago, which is that social media companies are are the prime cause 
of the, the huge increase in depression and suicide rates. Do you agree that, that social media companies are the primary cause of this? I'm not even sure whether this is something that we can agree or disagree with. There's just tons of research showing that this is yeah. the case. So disagreeing is uh, in a slightly facetious way, going against yeah. science. The reason that I think it's, it's an important question, and, and I get that it's very difficult to answer, is because the, the thing that confused me most about the documentary is that like everyone seemed to agree that the social media companies are, are killing people in one way or another, right? Whether it's, it's their mental states that put them into a zombie state or whether people are just getting depressed from not getting enough likes or validation or whatever else. The question I've got, though, is that the second conclusion they made, and, and everyone agreed on it from every single platform, whether it was Google, Twitter, Facebook, whoever, is that the, the consumers are the product. That's why it's free to use, because the data is very valuable to businesses, which would mean, if, if you're to follow logic, that businesses and their algorithm are directly responsible for killing their own products. That, for me, seems like a bit of a leap. And I think there's something missing in between. So have you got any insight as to, to how I can solve that, that, uh, that dilemma in my own mind? Because that was the first thing I thought after turning it off saying, that, like, why would businesses not change? And, and I know I'm ranting here, but I need to make one more point. Is If you look at Instagram about a year ago, they rolled out a huge update for about a week. And that was that they stopped showing the amount of likes on a picture. So it would just say, <laughs> liked by many for example. And that was seen as a direct response to the fact people were dying from from their platform, whether it was directly or indirectly. And then they reversed it. They just went back to normal and it was gone. And I was like, surely if, if, if you knew and all experts agreed that your features were leading to people being clinically depressed <laughs> and suicidal, that maybe you should not revert a huge update um so yeah I've, I've just shouted at you for ages there so i'm very sorry but but yeah can, can you help me solve that that leap in in logic i know it's really counterintuitive a nice analogy is to think about it as tobacco products they really don't want to harm people i truly believe and i know that these companies are full of lovely well-meaning people it's just that the product does harm to its users in really subtle and invisible ways. And as with cigarettes, the most addicted and vulnerable are also very, very yeah. profitable. So they would really, really like to not harm their users, but that would require some very deep changes in how these companies yeah. operate. Um, yeah. Too deep. Do you think Instagram caved pressure? when it came to the update that they rolled out, because I remember seeing, because I'm more of a Twitter fan personally, I remember seeing Instagram trending and it was like, it's such a stupid feature. Why have they got rid of the amount of likes? It was almost like, I love the t tobacco analogy because it makes perfect sense, but it was almost like you went up to a smoker and snapped the cigarette in half. You're doing it to protect them, but then they want it more because you're, you're taking away. It's almost like removing a drug from someone. Do you think they should have been stronger and, and held out? Or do you think they made the right business decision? I think these are band-aids. And when you do tiny band-aids, the bigger underlying problem still comes yeah. through. So 
I think that they made this update, but they uh, I'm just speculating. They probably didn't see good results in people's perceptions yeah. and how happy people yeah. were. Actually, maybe it even backfired, and so they took it yeah. back. Uh, it's a, it sounds like a very beautiful, mindful feature, but I think it's still just a band-aid. They would need to look much yeah. deeper into themselves to figure out how to yeah. solve this problem. One, um, one thing I, I wasn't a, a fan of in the documentary is that it was very, very doom and gloom. And there was only a very, very small section which spoke about the positivity of, of social media. Mm -hmm. and, and I fundamentally believe that social media has done a lot of good for society. It, it connects mm -hmm. people from all over the world. It diversifies debate and knowledge and learning trends so you can always see things from a different perspective it's empowered underrepresented communities in in a lot of instances where you know the mainstream media has been so so powerful they could almost like monopolize people's opinions now social media makes it very or much simpler i should say to discuss and explore different ideas some better than others admittedly and i wanted to put a positive spin on this podcast because I I think you've got some ideas here, so I'm going to be devastated if not, but but mm -hmm. how do you think that, that we can escape the social dilemma? And I'm not talking about some other people's solutions of, oh, you know, just remove no notifications from your phone or, or whatever else, because I think that's very blasé. Like, how do you think businesses can escape the social dilemma? And, and what do you think they're missing here? I think the social or I believe the social dilemma is a false dilemma. Um, you can deliver a lot of good value without causing all these adverse effects. Social media companies, what they're missing here is that they lose focus on true user value. A lot of the human instincts that these companies exploit actually evolve to turn lonely humans into close communities that are much stronger together. Yeah. So if companies can bring back this close community feel into their apps, it would bring back the social value. It would make that that would make all the difference. So this can be seen not just in social media like Facebook, but also in other online communication tools like WhatsApp. And it affects not just individuals, but you can even see it in established groups and communities like student societies, sports teams, professional groups. The key problem is that these groups are rarely as close and bonded as yeah. they'd like to be. And that's because it's just really hard to develop that sense of teamwork. It's really hard to be productive and really hard to have fun on these yeah. platforms. So these platforms just suck out the humanness and naturalness out of communication. So. What you see is that there are these tensions between getting stuff done and fun. Uh, people impose then strict rules like no posting here because it's for important announcements. Or it just turns into a group banter um, of just a core group of confident extroverts. And everyone else is just like a socially anxious, what we would call a lurker. Um, and sometimes you don't even know whom you're talking to and you literally just see a number. Well good luck getting close with a yeah. number. <laughs> so we want to fix these issues and unlock the potential in these groups to be close, productive and vibrant communities. And that's exactly what we're yeah. doing at Sphere. How do you do that while stripping back 
the negativity of of some of these communities so so for example you've just used a perfect example so i'm well i've just moved to a new flat and the first thing i did was was i looked on on facebook for for the group of so so i live in stratford so i live in one of the towers and it's like okay so i'm going to google you know x tower and i joined the community and the first thing you are greeted by is a list of it's about 14 rules that you have to abide by on the page <laughs> of like no self-promotion and, and whatever else um, which which is fine. Everyone needs you know parameters, but I think that's almost a bit of a, a negative thing to walk into from the outset. And honestly, since I've been in the group, it's just garbage. Like there's there's no community led incentives or, or or ideas. It's all about oh has has anyone been getting their post this week or oh has has anyone noticed that you know the window cleaner didn't do a good job or it's almost become this this negative outlet. With with all positive things stripped back, so so how would you counter that with with a platform? Because I think human beings can be quite pessimistic and negative, and it's easy for them to. So okay. if you take the example of of online reviews for restaurants, most people will go on to leave a negative review, but not as much as a positive. So so how do you bring out that that positive energy from from people and strip back the the negative? A very nice way to think about this is to think about um, in-person communities. What would it feel like to join an in-person community? Well, you would come there, you would be greeted by all these lovely people. They would give you a hug or a high five or something. They would introduce themselves to you. You will get to bond with them a little bit. Maybe they would introduce you to someone who's like the, the main cool guy that you should know which can help you with all your issues who's like very active in the community maybe then someone will take you aside and be like by the way here's a small brochure with with our rules but you're like ah yeah totally makes sense and they would start including you in like regular drinks and things like that and yeah there will be all these transactional things like the cleaner didn't come or something like that but the very core of the of the group interaction should be this beautiful human bits and pieces of participation rather than just the transactional whatever the windows are dirty i'm I'm honestly really excited to see uh how you've been able to pull this off because uh, i've seen lots of iterations and and versions and this sounds by far the best it sounds awesome (laughs) so great um and the final question i've got for you and this is something that, mm-hmm. that I was thinking about when I was having a, a conversation with, with my girlfriend about um, this topic. And I thought to myself, if you could go back in time, right? And you're part of the, the Facebook founding team, whether you're Mark or one of the other founders, I don't know who they are. And you knew what you know now. God, I can get out <laughs> tongue twister. Would you change anything? And the reason I ask this is because if you're going back in, in time, you have created an absolute monster of a platform, the most relied on platform in in the world, right? And and maybe in the history of the world ever because of its interconnectedness and, and global reach. So although there are some some problems and some some glaring problems, would you change anything? Because you could make the platform more human, but potentially at the expense of you know quite substantial success. Like even the like button was brought in to, to have that like positive outreach. But it's not quite evolved into that. So I'm then trying to imagine Facebook without the like button. I think, well, would people have, <laughs> have clicked with it as much? 
would they have looked for a different platform? Would they have then moved to, for example, like more dependent on Twitter or or probably not LinkedIn, but but you get around going with this, right? Like, would you change anything and, and be brutally honest? I think you just fell victim of the social <laughs> dilemma. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> I think a lot of the issues with Facebook, they did eventually figure out, but it's just way too late to do anything about these things. So... If I could go back and let them see what some of those decisions mm-hmm. could cause, if I could from the start champion true user value and closeness, maybe, just maybe, the world would have been yeah. much nicer today. So I, that's such a diplomatic answer that I would give them a presentation on some of the negative things it could cause and I would let them make their own decision from there. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's... It is very hard because you're trying to make people see something that they have never experienced. It's almost as bad as trying to explain a colorblind person what red looks like. You know, it's like very hard. Like, why would these people trust my intuitions? They would take me as a massive pessimist or something. So that's why I'm giving a very careful maybe that would work. But Maybe I just get fired. I heard that Mark is quite a, quite a headstrong person. <laughs> Indeed. Um, well, that's, that's everything about the topic. We've actually powered through a ton there. Um, I'm not sure how many conclusions we've reached because it's such a, from an opinion standpoint, there are so many different directions you can go with this that it's almost impossible to, to reach a conclusion nowadays. But the, the final part of, of the podcast is my, my favorite section, which is recruitment horror stories. Um, I always get very paranoid that one day one of them is going to involve me. Um, probably will, unfortunately. But uh, I've got two questions for you, nice and easy. The first question is, what is the worst experience you have had as a candidate? <laughs> I have a particularly okay. horrible one. It was an on-site series of interviews for an engineering job. I really messed up the coding interview. Like, really, really messed it up. And... By the time of the last interview of the day, it was very clear I'm not getting the job. So the interviewer sat in front of me. He sighed and said, surprise me. And my heart must have stopped in those seconds of horror. I, I was so shocked. I, I think I must have been white. And <laughs> It was so intense. Plus this guy was this... I think he was of, of Russian descent. He was here. He was like bald and had this really yeah. intense stare. I, it was yeah. so scary. That sounds horrifying, mate. I think I just shut <laughs> myself. I don't know. <laughs> fair, I found that surprising. <laughs> just uh, just decided to take a shit in his office. I think you'd be very surprised, but. <laughs> I, I I think I I don't know. I I blanked. Yeah. I have no idea what I, I did. I think if someone said that to me, I'd have to do something like really unprofessional. Like, have to do something which would really surprise them, but I'd need to be, like, I'd feel like he would be antagonizing me, so I would have to do it back, which probably says more about my own maturity than his. But if someone was like that, because that, that's quite, like, a rude and abrasive thing to say to someone, especially, you know, at someone's, you know, uh, such an early stage in their career. I wonder what he's doing nowadays. Have you ever looked at uh, what, what he's done since? <laughs> I have no idea. Actually, now I'm thinking about it, I should have said... No, you surprised me. <laughs> I can imagine you doing that as well. Cool. Um, and the, the final question <laughs> I've got for you today is, what's the worst experience you've had as a hiring manager? Hmm. 
You know this feeling when you are looking for the yeah. right candidate and it's taking ages to fill a role and then you finally sign someone and you feel this deep sense of relief yeah. that it's done. Well, we had a really hard to fill engineering role and we found someone, signed them, we celebrated, popped the champagne and then they didn't turn up oh, for the first no. day. And then he emailed that he got a better offer. <laughs> and then we had to get back to all of the people we rejected, being like, actually, you're not rejected. Would you be up for an extra interview? It was really, think, really horrible. I think I remember this. But, this was, was it, was it mobile? Yeah, I, I yeah. remember. <laughs> yeah. It was a tech lead, oh, yeah. I remember that. But, yeah, I remember you telling me. Oh, dude. That was horrible. Yeah. But, but in general, I would say our recruiting is yeah. of a high bar because we work with few and far. I'm going I'm, I'm to leave now. <laughs> 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 I'm, I'm not actually going to steal that. I'm going to put that as my LinkedIn headline for a whole week. Few and far, setting the bar. <laughs> Jesus Christ, what has my life become? Well, um, well, that's everything for, for episode two of In Hot Waterfall. Um, I've really, really enjoyed this conversation. It's been very, very thought-provoking. And I feel like I now need to go and read up on a ton more stuff. You always make me feel like I've got so much more to learn. And, and that's what I love about working with you, man. Um, is there anything that you want to say to finish this, this off or any shout-outs you'd like to give? I can give a super quick promotion yeah, yeah, of Sphere, on. if that's okay. So at Sphere, we have just launched a new website and are opening up to new communities. If you would like to turn your group into a vibrant and productive community, do get in touch. Uh, the link to our website should be somewhere be. in the description, I guess. And all over LinkedIn. I'm going to spam it everywhere for the world to see. <laughs> cool. Cool. No worries, Thank you, Reese. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, this has been episode two. This is the weekly podcast. Next week, I'm not going to tell you who the guest is, but again, it's going to be a very, very good episode. As always, this is one of the first ever episodes, so any feedback is greatly appreciated. But until then, I'll see you next time.